would you <clears throat> have liked to have been present moments before creation began? Well, we cannot begin to imagine what it would be like. First of all, we cannot imagine a world in which we do not exist. And by the way, it would be impossible for us to be around before creation because we were created. People sometimes ask, what did God do before creation? As if somehow creation gave him a purpose. Before creation, there was no time. There was no need of it. Since what existed, existed eternally. Had no beginning. There was only the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three in one in perfect harmony. Yet there was in this existence the decree to create, not the need to create, but the decree to create. And in the pre-creation existence, there's a covenant between the Father and the Son in regard to the salvation of God's people. St. Augustine was sarcastically asked, what was God doing before he created the world? To which he replied, creating hell for curious souls. We don't need to speculate as to God's activity in eternity. The Bible gives us a lot of information in regard to that, of God's activity before he made the world and all that was in it above it and under it. We read in Scripture of God's eternal counsel. We even speak of His plan of salvation. In our confession of faith in chapter 8 and in paragraph 1, reads this, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them both to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. So according to the covenant made between them both, that Christ would be the mediator between God and man. This taking place before time. <clears throat> if we turn to Isaiah chapter 42, <clears throat> we get some of the a picture of this. It's one of the servant songs of, of Isaiah. In Isaiah 42 and verse 1, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delighteth. Now, if you've got a New King James there, you'll notice elect one. The E is capitalized as well as the one because it's pointing to Christ. And we see also that this is a 
is a Trinitarian because we have God speaking. He's speaking of the Son of Christ. And then, notice this, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice or truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Why? Before they spring forth, he tells us, because they were pre-planned to come forth. Behold, the former things, the things from eternity past, have come uh, to the present. We need to be clear in regard to God's workings. For he didn't wait. He didn't wait to see what would happen and then make adjustments. It wasn't that Men sinned, and then God said, well, now, now I have to come up with a way to save them. Hell wasn't an afterthought that came about when man sinned. God's plan did not change based on new information or, quote, breaking news. I always find that strange with some of these news networks. Everything's breaking news. Even if it happened two days ago. Breaking news two days ago. It was all before time. Before creation, the Father made a covenant with the Son, which is commonly called the covenant of redemption. And yes, yes, it does not. The term doesn't exactly come out of the pages of Scripture. It's not there. You won't find covenant of, of redemption there. But certainly, though the term does not exist on the pages of Scripture, the concept certainly does. And we must avoid what biblicists often come up with with the word concept fallacy by saying, well, if the word's not in the Bible, then we can't call it anything. We just saw in our confession. And our confession was not something that was drawn up in, in 1677 just for the sake of having confession. It was based upon all the historical confessions and creeds. The Father sent the Son from before the foundation of the world. And it comes to pass in the history of redemption. In Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10, those 
very familiar or should be very familiar verses to us where God says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. From ancient times, before the world was, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now there has to be, for one who establishes the beginning, something has to be set in place prior to the beginning for there to be a beginning. R.B.C. Howell, in his book on the covenant, said all events that mark the history of the universe were of necessity before the omniscient mind ere the existence of our world. So all the things that mark the history of, of our universe were of necessity already before God. That it was already in the mind of God before there was existence of it in the world. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 7, there's a great title that is, is given to God, a, great, a title that should be of great comfort to us. In Hebrews 7 and verse 22, Jesus has just been spoken of uh, a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In verse 22 of chapter 7, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Jesus is declared uh, to us as a, a surety. Now, a surety is this. It's someone who is legally liable for the debt or default of another. Our surety is someone who is legally liable for the debt or default of another. Now this means that Christ had covenanted with the Father before the world was to fulfill a certain obligation. Jesus' mission was not given to him at his baptism nor was it given to him in the 40 days in the wilderness. And the title of surety was not just suddenly thrust upon him. And if we turn to chapter 10 and verse 7, we're going to start at verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Notice the past tense. It goes back uh, before time. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. It was previously decreed. I've come in the volume of your book to do what is written of me, to do your will. To do thy will points to something that was present before the world. You would have to know the will of God previously to do the will of God. And the Father wasn't texting the Son with instructions. He wasn't like 
a coach, a football coach on the sidelines, having people flash in plays, sending the angels into the lineup and saying, hey, this is what we're going to call next. It was all pre-done, pre-planned. Come with me to Malachi chapter 3. And if you're wondering how to get to Malachi, go to Matthew chapter 1 and turn back a couple of pages. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It said for sure because that had been decreed from before time to take place. And so if we turn now to 1 Peter chapter 1, we find almost the very same thing being echoed here. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ <clears throat> as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was what? Was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's interesting that we just read in, in Isaiah how God said, I will not give my glory to another because when he gives his glory to Christ, he's giving his glory to himself. We can go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, did what? Promised before time began. But in, it has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And we can turn back a, a few more pages to 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, <clears throat> who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? before time began. The covenant between the Father and the Son. Jesus did in time all that was consented to, agreed to before time. One last place in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him when, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Before time, before the foundation of the world, God had chosen a people. This covenant was made before the world, before the world was made, means it wasn't made with man. But the great thing was that that covenant, though not made with man, was made for man. And in the formation of it, man had no part and could not have actively participated. <clears throat> but in the fulfillment of the terms, because in the fulfillment of the terms or the conditions of it, it would be to man something impossible for him to do. Nor could it have been made with angels, for they also would find it impossible to fulfill, particularly since they don't die. They are not human and can only be accountable for themselves. But those in the covenant were the same as in the beginning who said, let us make man in our image. That is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Redemption was the result of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the work of their wisdom and their grace. Even in the most quoted of all verses out there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, we even then see that that whole thing was an arrangement. A whole arrangement was was of his own sovereign grace, God gave his only begotten son. Not having been influenced by human merit, goodness, or works. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the working of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. And again, when it comes to our salvation, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. According to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit which he shed on us abundantly through what? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I mentioned this last night, and of course next week in adult Sunday school, you'll be in this particular passage in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Where God speaks to the serpent and says I will actually speaking to Satan because Satan had inhabited the servant and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise 
your head and you shall bruise his heel. It shall crush your head really is, is the proper translation, I believe, there. God didn't, when the fall came in the garden, God didn't just say, well, hang on a minute. I need to think about this. What am I going to do? I remember as a, a child, uh, you may not believe it, but as a child, sometimes I misbehave. And my stepfather would send me to my room. And he said, go in there and think about it. And meanwhile, I'll think of what I need to do. Well, you had the double thing going on there. You only had to think about not only what you did, but what he's thinking about as the proper punishment. But with God, it, it wasn't like that. It's, now that these people have sinned, what am I going to do? No, it was already known that that was going to happen. That was part of the plan and the purpose. But also notice, he says, okay, in light of this, according to my plan, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. But this one, the seed of the woman's going to bruise, crush your head. You will only hurt his heel, but he's going to crush your head. The victory of Jesus Christ is given to us on the pages of Genesis chapter 3 before he even comes. Why? Because it's already been covenanted. This is what's going to happen. It's been decreed by God. These things shall be. And they were and will. This was the first light of the unfolding of his plan, the reality of the covenant with the Son, what he would be and what he would do. And so this again, just as the consideration of hell last Sunday should bring us to a consideration of this time, so this covenant of, of redemption. The incarnation. Jesus, the Son of God, taking on human flesh. The fulfillment of a covenant made before the world existed. This is what we are to realize. This is what we are to embrace. And it's what we are to delight in. But it's a tough world in a lot of ways. Stained awfully by sin. And we see a lot of Christians walking around with long faces because of the fact that they've missed the mark. God tells us right after the fall of man that there's going to be a victory. Christ will win. The victory is given to us right in the very beginning of man's existence of man's fall into sin it is we can see beginning in genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 it's the first glimmer of that covenant of of redemption you know there are people walking around today and they got the long face well you know i've got the newspaper here i got my bible here and i don't well i i, I sort of see what's happening in the newspaper happening here 
that's always going to bring you down. It's always going to bring you down. If you will focus on the foundational truths, joy will be apparent. It is the ancillary things that cause people despair because many times people are wrong on those things. We are not going to go flying off into the air at some point, regardless of what you see on television and the commercials and the man with the book and the gray and silver hair before his big congregation. It's not going to happen that way. That's a fiction that was made up in the early 1900s. But somehow it sounds good to people. Well, we'll just go flying away. Well, let's see what happens. I hope it happens while we're outside coming into church because I hate to see the concussions as head after head bumps against the ceiling. And everybody who's believed in that since that point has been disappointed because there's all these false prophets that have said, this is going to happen on this date. And this is going to happen on this date. And then 88 reasons for the rapture in 88. And all that nonsense that came about that caused people nothing but grief and sorrow and pain. From the first time of the Seventh-day Adventists, when the leader of the Seventh-day Adventists said, yes, it's on this date. And people sold what they had and they went up on a hill and they waited. And they waited and they waited and Jesus didn't come. And all these people were embarrassed. But then William Miller did it again. He said, oh, I got this wrong. And he said, here's the date. And the people gathered on the hill again. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And Jesus didn't come. When Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, the Jehovah Witnesses have made seven or eight times that they predicted the coming of Christ. And obviously, they've been wrong every single time. If it was the Old Testament, these people would be bruised by all the stones that were thrown at them. But when we see our conquering Christ, our victorious Christ, who will crush the head of the serpent and all his alliance and truly bring full and final and complete salvation to his people. That's what the incarnation, the coming of Christ should remind us. But it also reminds us of this, the fact that he has come also secures the fact that he will come again. So see if you believe what you are part of, and not just something that happened in your lifetime, but part of a covenant and plan that God put in before the world ever was by his grace by his mercy by his predestinating power we are part of an eternal plan to God be the glory let's stand together for prayer